Welcome, my friends. Once again, it's The Real Dirt. The Real Dirt Podcast with Chip Baker. You know, it always makes me feel odd saying that little tagline, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, because, you know, I'm speaking it. I feel like I should have, like, I don't know, Alex Trebek or some famous Sidney Jones or some somebody saying, The Real Dirt Podcast with Chip Baker. All I got's me. I'm excited to be here, man. This episode is actually about traveling the world and seeing cannabis in all its forms. I've been all over the country, all over the world, you know, just to see what's out there. But of course, I'm always looking for a little uh, sticky green or brown, dry brown, sometimes as the case may have it. And, you know, wherever I go, I find that little glimmer in someone's eye. I find that like local bit of color. And I often get introduced to some of the finest cannabis in the world. And, you know, when this happens, it always makes me think about hospitality and, and how like this is one world and, you know, we really are all brothers and sisters here. And if we all loved one another and treated each other more of a like Bible school type of way, we'd have a far, far better place to live in. Every time I meet someone new that I don't know, it gives me a little bit of hope and about humanity and on how we are all just people on the inside. And it doesn't matter if you're pro-Trump or against Trump or you want Bernie Sanders or you think that... You know, weed should be kept illegal or that you think that weed should be legal or you think it should be. You know, we all have all these different opinions. But when you come down to it, we're all the same blood. We're all the same race here and we're the human race and we do need to be kind to another. I'm down here in Oklahoma now. We're Okies these days. We're setting up a new Cultivate Oklahoma and my wife has a dispensary and clone nursery, Baker's Medical. Uh, and we've got a uh, lots of other stuff planned and, and then we're doing but I but I actually got my like first little bit of hate mail from an Oklahomian or at least someone claiming to be from Oklahoma. And I have experienced so many, many nice people here, you know, that that the one or two or three other haters out there don't really bother me. I'll have to tell you that Roger sent me an email earlier this week and said that we needed to go fucking home and he was going to come out and protest in front of my business and find out where we lived. And it sounded a little threatening, but Roger just don't know us. We weren't threatened by it. We just blew it off. But it but it really did make me think about racism and discrimination and why people do that and think about it. And, you know, at the same time, I've got, you know, one of my, my key guy here, uh, uh, Travis Crane, if you guys know him, he's, he's out of the country. He's, he's in Jamaica and, you know, there's, there's a lot of racial tensions been there in the past and currently, and, and, and many people find that, uh, they love Jamaica. Some people don't like Jamaica. And, you know, I really started thinking about like how, how much I've traveled all over the world, but I've never been to Jamaica. You know, I'd, I'd really want to go there, man. You know, this this idea of Jamaica being one of the homelands of the cannabis culture is for real. I mean, the Rastafarian religion, they use cannabis as a sacrament. 
And many people use, you know, Rastafariism as a way to smoke cannabis as a sacrament. And, you know, it's one of the few religions in the world that's like that. And it's definitely one that's been highlighted here in the U.S. I was also thinking my, my wife has this great podcast called uh, The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. And she talked to Lakeisha Jenkins, who's been studying cannabis in Jamaica has left California to go to Jamaica to study it there because the laws were so much better. Similar to what we've done is, you know, we've left Colorado behind to come to Oklahoma because the cannabis laws were far more prosperous and and free for all here. So I decided I'm going to rebroadcast. I'm going to do two things on this episode, okay? This isn't just going to be me talking. I'm going to chat with Travis Crane about his experiences in Jamaica and the type of weed there. And we're going to rebroadcast Jessica Baker's episode with Lakeisha Jenkins about Jamaican cannabis and the research they're doing there on medical cannabis. So sit back and enjoy this episode with a large fat spliff. And and for those of you who don't know what a spliff is, here's what you need. You're going to need to go get about three to five sheets of 1.5 rolling papers and you want to glue all those together then you want to take about a half ounce of the best weed you have now it doesn't matter if it's the sticky ickiest or if it's a brown frown it doesn't matter it's just about a half an ounce of the best weed you got you grind this all up and you roll it into a five sheeta spliff and that's how i want you to enjoy this episode of the real dirt with chip baker Hey, if you're interested in other episodes, please download us at iTunes. We are the Real Dirt Podcast. Please join us on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, man, tell your friends. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your friends to subscribe. We love to talk about cannabis. If you have any ideas on shows or episodes, man, just drop us a line someplace. And maybe it's something we're interested to. So fire that join up and sit back. Mm, here it is, The Real Dirt, on Jamaica. On today's episode, I've got my uh, trusty assistant, Travis Crane, Crane Style. Say hey, Travis. Hello. All right. Travis has just come back from Jamaica. And, you know, we're also got a special treat for you. We're going to rebroadcast an episode with uh, Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins that uh, Jessica Baker, my wife, had on her podcast. That is The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. You can find her on iTunes as well. Yeah. Travis was just in Jamaica. As we all know, Jamaica is a birthplace of Bob Marley birthplace of peter tosh what else do they do there uh travis well they got usain bolt too weed they're famous for weed in jamaica <laughs> yes yeah oh, okay. they are jamaica is probably one of the few places in the world where you could say oh it's just in jamaica and people would immediately think that you were Super stones still. I mean, Colorado and California and Humboldt and, and soon to be Oklahoma are all have some of that. But Jamaica, I mean, let me ask you, Travis, were there any like stereotypes that uh, your friends or, or family said to you about when you came back from Jamaica on your way there? No, honestly, not really. I mean, a lot of people, you know, just kind of cursed at me because I was going to Jamaica and they had to work during the week. 
nowadays people try to avoid uh, the stereotypes and all that. Nobody asked you if you were getting high or like, you know, how much weed you smoked or anything like that or expected that you just sit went down there and smoked weed the whole time? <laughs> well, actually, actually, uh, when I got back, one of the first things I was asked, they're like, oh, so you were in Jamaica? And I was like, yep. And they're like, so was it dirt weed? <laughs> well, that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah, yeah, it's the big mystery. And I mean, I can only give my perspective as, I guess, what you would call like your average cannabis consumer. Although I guess I, I like to think I'm a little more knowledgeable on it. Oh, than of course, your you're a little person. more knowledgeable there. I wouldn't consider you an average consumer. I'd, I'd say more like you have a, a far above <laughs> average a grasp in concept of cannabis far above the average person you haven't smoked enough yet that's your problem yeah i'll say i'll say amateur connoisseur how about that <laughs> <laughs> so all right so tell tell us what's going all on right. in jamaica what's what's weeds legal there now so it's kind of confusing while i was trying to research it so from what i could gather in 2015 jamaica decriminalized weed so people could possess up to two ounces and the part that was unclear is that it, they may have also decriminalized growing up to five plants for personal use. But from my experience, decriminalization in Jamaica might as well mean legalization. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> well, so like in the United States, in a decriminalized state, People aren't just going to be out and smoking weed in the street because it's just decriminalized. If a cop sees you or smells it, they're still going to bust you or whatever. You, you haven't been to California yet, have you? That's true. That's okay, true. Okay, okay, well, but in Jamaica, I feel like because it's been part of the culture on the island for so long, the view of it from the people there is a lot more positive than can, in the United States. Can you smoke States. weed anywhere? Well, so I was on a resort and I was smoking joints on the back patio. The guys who were selling the weed were smoking their joints down on the beach just off the resort. Mm -hmm. uh, when you were driving down the street, you would see some people just puffing on something while they're hanging out on the side of the road. So it so seemed like it ganja was everywhere, common. man. With the smell of ganja in the air, man. Uh, more or less. Only when they were smoking it, though. None of it uh, had enough smell to really travel. <laughs> All right. It wasn't like Denver where you can just drive down the road and it just reeks for miles. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> anytime you went through an actual town, you'd get a whiff. Plus, anywhere you went as a tourist, there was somebody trying to sell you ganja. So Okay, so, so it's medical legal or decriminalized? They decriminalized it, and I believe at the same time, started establishing a medical industry so i think it was like march of 2019 is when the first medical dispensary opened but what jamaica's doing that's pretty cool is they had amendments added into the new law that gives subsidies and uh helps like indigenous farmers who have been growing ganja on the island for years transition into the legal industry and supply medical dispensaries by helping them get licensing and subsidies for land and all that kind of stuff. So are there dispensaries? I only saw one 
I think it was in like St. Anne or something like that. I think there may only be a few on the whole island so you right did, now. So you, did, you didn't buy your weed at a dispensary. You bought it from a Rastamon. Yeah, yeah. We got it from a few different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, from were what they, I've were heard... They, were they Rastas? I would say one of them, one of them was. Mm-hmm. The other one seemed to just be your average dudes who were just slinging trinkets and weed. <laughs> <laughs> just businessmen just businessmen yeah yeah but i mean what's funniest to me just being my first time in jamaica so i was on the beach and i was out in the water with my father who is close to 60 and all of a sudden a guy rose up to us in a canoe <laughs> and he has a box full of like trinkets and stuff like that and he's like like a wooden hey, canoe yeah, straight up wooden <laughs> canoe that was painted. And this dude rose up and he's like, hey guys, what you need? What you need? And because I just got there and one of my goals was to get some ganja. I was like, oh, well, I'm trying to get some ganja. And he's like, oh yeah, I got you. I got you. And he takes out this little container that couldn't have had more than like two G's in it and tried to sell it to me for 80 US dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, did you tell him you were from Colorado? At some point, I think so, but I had to laugh at him a little bit. He tried to tell me that his father owned a dispensary in Florida, and that's where he got the flour from. But I'm a smart cookie, and I know (laughs) that flour isn't legal in Florida. (laughs) Oh, man, it totally is. What are you talking about? Is it? I thought it was just concentrate. No, bro. Don't you remember that episode of The Real Dirt when we had that dude from Florida that came in and they he said that they had just legalized for flour? Oh yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, oh man. You gotta you gotta get up on your real dirt. Do you subscribe? Wait a second. Wait a second. Do you subscribe to the real dirt? Of course I do. You, you, do you get the, yeah. the, the, the emails and, and you know, you, you get the new latest episodes released? Uh, yep. Every time. Every time oh, there's a new man. article, Your boss must just have you working so hard that you, you, you skip that part of the episode. Yeah, you know. Well, I'm always working on new episodes, so mm-hmm. that kind of takes hold. I told the first guy, I'm going to pass on that one, and <laughs> figured I'd just wait until a little bit later. And ended up talking to a bartender at the resort. Still got ripped off because he was all shady about it. And, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I got, uh, I mean, it was probably close to an eighth, maybe like four or five G's because it was pretty dense. But it also had probably 15 to 20 seeds in it. Oh, sweet, man. So where you planted those already now that you got back, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're already sprouting a little bit. <laughs> i was actually pleasantly surprised the smell obviously like it wasn't anything special it was more like earthy and grassy than anything it's from the earth man yeah exactly and when you squeezed it and broke it open you got a little bit of like sweetness from it so it smoked all right actually i was expecting to like cough up a lung from the seeds or something like accidentally leave don't smoke the seeds dude well i know but uh you never know if one might slip oh, in there. I get it. I get it. I get <laughs> the it. biggest challenge for me was I normally use a grinder to roll my joints. And the stuff there was a lot stickier than the stuff in Colorado, which like just turns to dust in your fingers. So the hardest part was breaking it all apart to roll the joint. So rolling a joint would take me like 15 minutes because my fingers would be so sticky and 
the nugs were super sticky mm-hmm. i don't know if that was because they were uh that resinous or they were just a little on the moist side but either way the joints all burned pretty great i got some jamaican hash too wasn't too bad made the joints a lot better oh yeah man sweet <laughs> what the weed look like did it look like our weed or or could you tell if it was a land race weed was did it have crystals did it have colors was it all brown or blue or most of it was definitely darker green none of it like was crystally or frosty or anything like that one of the guys that we purchased from actually handed us probably close to an eighth of weed on about a 12 inch branch (laughs) (laughs) so we got a full branch with uh, about do they call uh, that anything special or you just get a branch of weed or uh it was just a branch My, my brother actually got that one he just walked up to the guy with 20 bucks and said what'll this get me and he just handed him that the branch mom but yeah i mean it came with uh Two pretty decent sized nugs and then uh, like six of the little side nugs down the stem. I'm not smart enough to say whether it was a land race or not, but I doubt it was any uh, crazy hybrid. That's for sure. <laughs> you're, you're smart guy, man. You're just not experienced enough. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly. Smart. It was my first well, time smoking you know, Jamaican weed. So. Interesting. I don't think I've ever had a though, land race. I've had, uh, I know many people in the, the seed industry um, in, in Europe spain and amsterdam and many of the big guys say that uh people have come and bought five gallon bucket loads of european seed for jamaica and that uh jamaicans actually really like growing the european seed because it 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 grows just a little bit and flowers so they can harvest a bunch of times Uh, in the year okay right that makes sense yeah and i think the jamaican land races have a I'm sure people are keeping up with some of it, but you know, the way they, the cross pollinization and the keeping in the males and, you know, nobody has few people have breeding programs. It's just hard to preserve that type of stuff, especially when it's so much economy there too. And in, in cannabis, like people are growing it for export all over the Caribbean, all over the world. Yeah. And honestly, I think what probably surprised me most was the last guy that I bought some flour from, I was at some roadside restaurant getting some jerk chicken, jerk pork, like a stereotypical tourist. This guy's just hanging outside holding branches in his hands. And they looked the best trim that I'd seen so far. And they were actually some pretty fat looking nugs on there. And I was like, all right, well, I'll try some of that, even if it has some seeds in it. Because at this point, I assume everything does. And so I ended up asking the guy why are there always seeds in it? Are you, have you tried like getting rid of them? And he was like, no, man, we keep the males in there. It makes the females even stronger. And mm-hmm. <laughs> something mm-hmm. along the lines of like, we impregnate our women is what he was, how he put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. It's but, a very uh, misogynistic attitude over. Yeah. Over but uh, either way, you know, it's nothing to rave about, but. For going somewhere so far away and trying the weed that they have, I was very impressed. Well, awesome, man. I tell you, we all missed you while you were gone. Everyone was envious uh, that you oh, were, yeah. you know, on a resort. Everybody was making fun of you smoking swag weed, but uh, yeah, only because they weren't on the resort. Except I wasn't, man. I, I was envious that uh, you were in Jamaica picking seeds out of buds. 
You got some pictures for us, right? Yeah, you can see some pictures of the bud I got. They're on the Real Dirt Podcast Instagram. They're also on the Real Dirt Facebook. Also, if you want to read up on the history of Jamaica's cannabis laws and why their culture is so cannabis-oriented, there'll be an article about that on the Real Dirt blog, too. Isn't that handy? Yeah, it's always good to know. Awesome, Travis. Well, hey, man, you know, this is a this is one of those cool episodes where I like edit a bunch of stuff together. And I think we're going to uh, replay an episode of the Herb Walk podcast with my wife, Jessica Baker, Herb Walk with Jessica Baker, um, where she interviews uh, Lakeisha Jenkins, Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins in Jamaica about medical cannabis in Jamaica and the research that they're uh They've done there. Hey, have you have you listened to that episode? Uh, I actually don't think I have. Oh, well, but... this is this is a per- this is perfect. You can sit back and listen to it with everybody else. Growers is locally owned and operated soil nutrient company in Denver, Colorado. Our products are crafted with Colorado hearts and Colorado hands. With 15 years of experience in the soil and nutrient industry. We make a consistent and effective line of soil and nutrients in an environmentally conscious way. Growers. We know the grower is independent. Do it yourself, educated in the raw materials, and believes in his own way of doing things. He puts faith in his abilities and takes pride in his yield. We know that growing is a complex science that requires blood, sweat, tears, and humility. We care about our environment, our place in the world, the abundance of our yield, and the quality of our product. We embrace getting dirt under our fingernails. We are investing in the future of the earth. We are cultivating abundance. Grow quality, grow consciously, grow and prosper. Go to growers.com for more information. So, Dr. Lakeisha, did you grow up with a connection to herbalism or farming or, you know, a back to the land type parenting? Or did you kind of come to this by yourself? So, it's funny. It's like a little mixture of both. If you want to talk about it in my family history, it's there. My grandfather is honestly an herbal healer. I remember him back in Mississippi having like huge gardens, growing a lot, like they ate fresh fruits and vegetables, and he can walk out into the woods in Mississippi and pick you every shrub and berry to cure everything that ails you. I was born in Mississippi, but I moved from there when I was two. I spent all my summers there until I was 19. So it was a part of my history there, but not a influence. My parents weren't like that. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I watched Silicon Valley become Silicon Valley. I think I had to attribute it more to when my oldest daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer, that I really was looking for solutions and going sort of back to the basics, back to nutrition, back to health. And that guided me to this particular journey that I'm on now. So you weren't a naturopath at that point when your daughter was diagnosed? No, you know, no, I wasn't. I started out being a food scientist because I was very interested in nutrition and health and food science. And so that's actually where I started. But like I said, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I quickly <laughs> my dad was a network engineer when I realized that that's where everything was. 
But when my daughter was diagnosed, and when I questioned whether chemotherapy and radiation was the appropriate course of treatment, because her tumor was so rare that it, only three cases had been seen in the brain, and they decided to give her a treatment protocol, a different type of cancer, and I just knew in my heart that wasn't right. And they didn't want to listen to me about, about the way it plays a role in health or any of So I decided to crash there, and then maybe they would actually listen. And so when you realized that you weren't going to do this experimental treatment on your daughter, did you just seek from the internet or did you have other naturopaths that you worked with or kind of what steered the direction of treatment for you? Well, what steered the direction was the fact that they didn't want to listen to me. And that the state of California, if you don't give your child because they're a minor, whatever treatment that they tell you to They consider you a threat to your child because you're acting outside of medical advice and they get CPS involved and they take away your parental rights. So I didn't have a choice but to give my daughter chemotherapy and radiation. It wasn't an option for me. So really what scared you is finding alternative and complementary things that would not only help the cancer, but also help with the damage that was being done by the chemotherapy and radiation. And unfortunately, although my daughter able to beat cancer, I want to be clear about that. She beat cancer. They were able to remove all of her brain tumor with her second brain surgery. The problem was she couldn't recover from the effects of chemotherapy and radiation. And so it was very difficult for me because I'm like, okay, so I questioned whether this was right. You said I had to or you would take away my parental rights and call CPS. So now that my daughter is gone based on what you did, who calls CPS on you? Recourse do I have? And really that right there is just what was the catalyst for change for me that really just gave me sort of a kick in the pants into alternative and complementary medicine and helping people understand that they have options and to explore those options. Absolutely. And I mean, that is just a horrible representation of our healthcare system where it's like they, we get no power to the people who actually have our children and ourselves, our best interest in mind, but then they treat us like a criminal. So I apologize on behalf of the entire Western medical system that it sucks. And they, <laughs> they right. they really it's not about healthcare it's about profit and it's not about like long term and unfortunately Kiana got you know one of unfortunate millions who have been neglected and also abused by our healthcare system and then our parent you know the parents are treated like criminals so i'm glad you are now a healthcare professional who has a voice for others and also for sanity because this is about sanity this is about not about the bottom dollar for some, you know, insurance company, but about people actually thriving. It is. And I think that that's why I fight so hard. Well, I know that's why I fight so hard. Number one, so Kiana didn't die in vain, you know, that I can use that that as a catalyst change for the entire healthcare system in America and beyond. But then I can also use that unbridled passion. You know, they say 
thou hast no theory like a woman scorned, well, you can't be more scorned than losing your firstborn child when you really feel in your heart that you absolutely didn't have to. So if I can just educate as many people as possible to know that our body is a self-healing organism. If you give your body the appropriate vitamins, minerals, amino acids, all those constituents that are required to sustain life, it can and will repair itself. Not saying that Western medicine doesn't have its place. In my opinion, it's mostly in emergency situations to arrest death. But there's also other places that it's there. I want to see the two systems work alongside each other. And I want to stop seeing it so one-sided where it's like Western medicine is the only way. The allopathic medical system is the only way. There's nothing else that you can do. I want to open up people's eyes and say, yes, there is. Nutrition is half the battle. There's no other area in life that you can do whatever you want without consequence. And your health it's no exception. And I just want that message to be received by everyone. Do you feel like that message is being more widely received than it has before? Absolutely, because people are fed up. The system that we have, the healthcare system that we have right now is fundamentally broken at its core. And people are realizing and they're not getting a solution. And they want a solution. Gone are the days of just masking symptoms and trying to gain some sort of quality of life, if you can, because that hasn't been successful. What people are looking for now is a real healing. And to really be honest, there's a healing that needs to happen on a global level in so many areas. It starts with health, though, holistic health. Mind, body, and spirit, getting those things in alignment and on one accord, getting one with ourselves, our brethren, our other citizens, and one with the earth, that's what needs to happen. And I think people are starting to become awake and aware and demanding for better. And do you think the Western allopathic system is listening to these demands or are they slowly catching up? I mean, I have a friend who he's a paraplegic, and he was basically just treated like a criminal at UC Davis for using cannabis for his chronic pain. And it's like, if anybody should not be judged for using cannabis, I feel like it should be someone who physically looks like it's okay if they use, I think anybody should be able to use cannabis, but to be treated like a criminal still in 2018 in California, I just, are they listening? I think that they're turning a deer, and I'm going to be honest, presentation right now. Most physicians don't believe in the healing powers of botanicals as a whole, first of all, because they're not taught that way. But cannabis specifically, because of the negative stigma that's attached to it, I think what has to happen is we need to change the narrative and the school of thought. God bless Everyone in the cannabis industry that says it's our right to use cannabis, it should be legalized. Everybody, it's just a plant and all those things because I believe you wholeheartedly. But that's not how you enact change. You have to think that you are challenging the entire profession of some people 
that really have a huge voice. We're challenging the school of thought of an entire industry, not just the medical industry, also the pharmaceutical industry. Your message, it needs to be guided, needs to be thought out, and it needs to be based on true health, science, research, and education. What I find is where a doctor may not want to hear, we should be able to use cannabis because it's our right. When you educate a doctor on the endogenous cannabinoid system, it's existence. Most don't even know what it is, but that it even exists. Take them on the system, the function, and the regulatory action. Point them to the research, and that's how you start to change hearts and minds. Doctors have to listen. Once they start losing patients and it threatens their livelihood, they'll wake up and they'll definitely listen. You know, I feel like as long as they keep getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical industry, it's only going to be when it's a cannabis pharmaceutical company giving them a kickback. Will they be like, "Okay, we're listening. And, you know, I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but also that's how little faith I actually have in doctors to do some free thinking on their own, even if they feel like their career is on the line. I don't know. I just, and uh, that's mean of me. I don't quite mean that exactly like it came out, but almost. No, it's not. No, it's not. I agree. I agree. It's not. It's not. You're just being real. You're being real. I mean, these are the real problems. This is what we face. You're being very honest. And I share the same sentiment. It's a challenge. And it takes people like you, which I love and respect so much your work for just that reason. Getting the education getting the real information out there, using your platform, whether they're listening or not, eventually that word is going to get out there and it's going to be heard. And it just takes us all banding together to do it. It does. Absolutely. And I am seeing that a little bit in this cannabis world. Let's kind of go down that rabbit hole for a minute. So you were the, a founding member and the first president of the California Cannabis Industry Association And then you served on the board of the NCIA, which is the National Cannabis Industry Association. You know, what has your experience been working within those various associations? And are they looking out for the business, the consumer? You know, what's kind of the purpose of those associations? And I'm asking for a personal reason and also just so you know, listeners and then other people in the cannabis industry who keep getting bombarded with like, go to this event or join this group, you know, what's kind of your opinion about those and professionally, cause you've been involved. So you, you know, more than most of us. Yeah. I think that professional associations on a whole are needed. Their advocacy groups, they sort of like, I have a cooperative business model. They're designed to be everybody working together within that association for a common goal. So that sort of ideology really resonates with me. I really believe in that core mission. I think the problem with some of the associations that we have now is that core mission. If you think about California, the largest cannabis market in the world, was built on a movement of patients' rights, patients' access. That movement has now turned into an industry, though. And just like any other industry, (laughs) when you have people that had a vested interest in building the movement, when the industry comes in 
unfortunately, that unbridled passion is not in line with the interests of the shareholders, you know, these days. And I hate to say it like that, (laughs) but it's what it is. Yes. The unbridled passion is no longer what it's about anymore. It's about the business of cannabis. And unfortunately, whoever has the most dollars decides what the business of cannabis is. And that is a core root and fundamental problem. And one of the reasons that I still focus in my own way on the core mission, like we started this in the first place, to save people's lives. The endogenous cannabinoid system a regulatory system, and you can't experience homeostasis in the body without regulating that system or supporting it nutritionally. People are dying, and they don't have to. And unless that's your mission to save people's lives and to spread that education, I can unfortunately no longer contribute all of my time and energy to to supporting a mission that's outside of that. And that's, that's really where I'm at. Well, I love that because you're like walking your truth, which is what we need. I don't really want to see cannabis go into the model of everything else, which is like money and greed and power, which is kind of unfortunately what seems to be the natural progression of business. And I know there are alternatives for that. Um, So thank you for being so honest because I feel the same way, but I, I didn't know if that was just a personal bias or if this was actually rooted in something. It's nice to know that I wasn't just being a little stodgy against them because you're right. I'm an acupuncturist. We need our associations to lobby for us, but we also need to make sure we understand the common goal, which is the betterment of people, not the betterment of a few people's wallets, you know, which is really what I do see happening. So let's talk about your mission for a while. Cause you have the Keona T Jenkins foundation and also the pharmacy. So explain both of those to us a little bit more and how they weave together if they do at all. Yes. So the Kiana Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We started out as a cancer foundation providing financial assistance to cancer survivors. There became a point in time where I realized so many people were being diagnosed with cancer that I couldn't be effective. I couldn't provide the type of financial assistance that I needed to, I would have to have endless pockets and endless budgets to be able to do that. I had to change my thought process and say, this is where my mission comes in of helping people not get cancer in the first place. Changing more to a holistic health organization and saying, hey, this is what you need to do to support your body nutritionally. Just like I said before, support that self-healing system so that you don't get in that situation. But if you do, here's some complimentary and alternative things to help you get out of it. We still provide financial assistance by the way of giving treatment cancer survivors. And I hate to use the word treatment, but nutritional supplementation to combat symptoms of chronic degenerative and terminal illness is what I mean. Um, Just in case the FDA is listening, just kidding, not kidding, anyways. (laughs) But but we still provide that financial assistance. And 
the pharmacy is our agricultural cooperative. So everything is a nutritional base. Like I say, we have to have nutrition. And I feel like cannabis is a nutritional supplement. It honestly and truly is because it supports the endogenous cannabinoid system through phytocannabinoid supplementation if you're taking it especially internally. That's what we need to think about. So they sort of play together with each other because through the pharmacy and growing not just cannabis, but other medicinal herbs and fruits and vegetables, creating products that are based off of nutrition and helping you learn how to use those products, making sure everyone gets the right product with the right dose and the right delivery method to address whatever symptoms they have. And then really that comes through our parent company of Genesis Cooperative Incorporated, where we operate again on a cooperative business model, everybody working together for a common goal. So we have the agricultural sector, we have the nutraceutical sector, we have the education and training sector of that organization, everybody coming together to change the narrative change the message and to try to do our part to bring that healing to the nation, to the world, because that's what's needed. That is absolutely what's needed. So that's awesome. So part of the pharmacy cooperative is your, it is a farm. You're actually growing cannabis and other herbs for some of the products that, that you then can um, sell your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And positively. So really been able to expand that here in Jamaica. So I'm based in Jamaica more than anywhere now. And here, because Jamaica has some of the most pristine lands and some herbs that cannot be found in any other areas of the world are found here. And some of the most pure cannabis strains were none of the the terpenoids or flavonoids, any of those things have been bred out. You can get those medicinal strains here. And we have some beautiful farms, indigenous farmers that produce some of the most quality medicinal herbs and cannabis that you have ever seen. We can do research and development here a lot easier than I was able to do located in California. So absolutely a big part of that is farming. A big part of that is and supporting farmers. Did somebody from Jamaica say, hey, come do a pharmacy cooperative here? Or were you like, I got to get out of here. Let's go to Jamaica. So being, again, you know, <laughs> the founding president of the California Cannabis Industry Association and walking through regulating the entire medical industry and then walking through the language and legalizing, you know, on an adult level, I knew what was coming down the pipeline. I don't know. I don't really want to get into what's going on in California right now, but there's a lot going on and there's a lot of glowing pains that are happening there. And I knew that if I really wanted to make a global impact, I couldn't do it from California. I was invited to Jamaica in October of 2017 to speak at the Fifth Amelia Cup and Congress. And when I realized that in California, I had 500 varieties of medicinal herbs in my office. And I came to Jamaica and there were 88 varieties that I'd never even heard of this magical place. You have a couple things going on. You have a training coming up in mid-April 
And then there's also a bunch of medical tourism going on in Jamaica right now. Is that with cannabis specifically, or is that with all of these indigenous herbs as well? All of it. All of it. And that's the beautiful thing about Jamaica. It's people come here for medical and wellness tourism all the time. From the hot springs, to just the rivers, the beaches, the water here, the, the indigenous herbs, the nutrition. People eat so healthy here. Everything is fresh. It's wonderful. And they grow some of the best cannabis here. And their medical program that they have here, there's a lot to be said for it. And the fact that Jamaica actually has, and this is a pro tip that I'm giving out only on Jessica's podcast show right now, Jamaica has reciprocity. They've recognized medical recommendations from anywhere. So you can actually work through the Ministry of Health, get a signed paper stamp that if you come from a legal state like California and you're able to fly out of California with your medicine, your medical cannabis, you can get sanctioned to fly into Jamaica with your medical cannabis. And that's one of the things that I encourage people is to be able to let me see what you have and let's compare and say, okay, these are the real additional qualities that are found in this strain based on your cannabinoid you know, terpenoid, flavonoid profile. These are the ones here in Jamaica. Let's compare and see how we can bring a current cue based on science and information. And that's all of a part of our research project. So the wellness and medical tourism is really a huge research study. We want to get people from all over the world and collect the data because that's all that the allopathic traditional or that the conventional medical system will listen to is data, quantitative evidence. So we're collecting quantitative evidence based on self-reporting of how you feel when you come and you experience the health and healing that's here in Jamaica. We collect that data and put it into a large study because we need to change those hearts and minds. And we also have, like you said, the training that's coming up. So we're doing an endogenous cannabinoid system certification and inviting medical professionals and and cannabis industry professionals to come to Jamaica and really learn the science behind the endogenous cannabis its function, learn about product delivery methods and how to titrate those because it's really all of that data and information that's going to change the face of the medical establishment on a global level. We need to collect the data. And that's really what I'm doing here in Jamaica is trying to collect that data. I guess I should have asked you that in two questions because I was so fascinated by the first part of your answer that I want to make sure we get, we get like both of those separated because they're both so important. So first of all, basically you're saying anybody from a legal state needs to fly to Jamaica with their best weed, come have a smoke out in Jamaica and be able to compare the difference between like the Jamaican strains and the ones that you're bringing. And then do they need to bring, which I love, it's like my new favorite thing to do. Like I'm basically like, when can I go to Jamaica? Do we need to bring our own lab test or do you have a lab there that you work with and then you take a sample and and do it at your lab? So I think that the best to do is for everybody yes, to bring their cannabis to Jamaica. We do have laboratory testing here. We actually have laboratory testing through the University of the West Indies and a couple of other independent labs located in other parts. 
so we can get your medicine tested and really collect that research and data. Everything that I would say is if we can get it approved through the agricultural ministry is to get seeds here. Because one thing about Jamaica, anything that you plant in the soil here, fruit, vegetable, or herb, profound changes. There are so many microclimates in Jamaica. You can grow it in three different parts of the island and get three different phenotypes off of the same. This is a magical place. This is a place to do that research. So absolutely, yes. Let me submit them to the Ministry of Health. Let me get your sanction to bring your cannabis products to Jamaica and let's do the research. That is great. And I really had no idea that's what you were doing there. I thought you were just more like teaching and I didn't realize you had such a big research aspect to what you were doing. Everything's research. So my dispensing model in California was my private practice and it was based on research. Everyone filled out a medical profile. We took an account of everything that we gave you, what the effects were, what the cannabinoid protein profile, maybe even flavonoid and lipid profile were if we could get that sort of information. And we collected all that data. So we could say definitively, this particular genetic profile theoretically should be good for this condition. We just picked up and done that here now in Jamaica because we can do that research almost uninhibited. So can you share with us, you know, something specific? Like, is there a specific strain that you found good for insomnia due to, like, pain? Here's the hard part. I can't dial it down to strain. I have to dial it down to genetic profile. Because, unfortunately, what people claim their strains are are actually what their strains are. So we work strictly off of cannabinoid, terpenoid, and potentially flavonoid profile. That's what we work specifically off of. And we can say if it presents in these percentages, theoretically it's good for this because this many people have self-reported that they felt this using this specific profile. So we really dial it down to the science of the genetic profile and not just the name of the strain. If you bring your seeds here, though, or you bring your cannabis flowers here, though, and we match that genetic profile to something that we can call a strain, I think that's how now we start to actually classify. Okay, this genetic profile, yes, we can give it a name, but it's really the genetic profile that determines how effective this particular botanical is for this particular or associated with this particular condition. All right. I just want to point out to the listeners, for those of you who don't know, that that's the answer people should tell you when you ask, what strain is good for this? Because it's so true. Everyone throws some random name on there and then you don't know what you're actually getting. So it doesn't matter what the name is. What matters is the actual profile of the plant. So thank you Dr. Lakeisha, because that was like my favorite answer is like, oh my God. Yes. Okay. So if you're curious, look up Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins, because there's a million websites that are going to tell you just BS answers. But her answer was like the A++ answer. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. When you post things and you say things that speak to that, I'm like, yes, get that information out there to the people. 
this spell, my favorite thing is when you talk about indica versus sativa and those types of things that go with the genetic profile. I'm like, yes, get the information out there for the real information, not just the fluff. Well, I know. And everyone's like, I mean, I've had a few people over that indica sativa talk who are like, well, why should we even care about this? We're creating our, our own vocabulary. And it's like, well, you're discrediting decades of ethnobotanists who've actually been traveling the world to find out the true genetics of cannabis. But awesome that you just want to say indica because you're ignorant and you're basing this off false knowledge from prohibition. But awesome. Thanks for like wanting yep. to educate yourself. And then most of these people are like yeah. cannabis, quote unquote, personalities. And I'm like, stop spreading nonsense. It's almost like propaganda. It's like we have to elevate the conversation yep. and you are elevating the conversa- conversation. <laughs> and I just feel like anybody who understands that, like, we need a different paradigm, not only for cannabis and health and way of life. It's like we just we the shift of like wholeness and health and actually having, you know, the courage to stand up for these things that we believe in. Like, this is what the present needs. And this is absolutely what the future needs. We don't need just spewing information and regurgitating false news because it's the information we've known. It's like we, we now know there's even an endocannabinoid system. So let's like run with that. And we now know a lot about genetic profiles of different cultivars. Like let's honor that and really like dig deep and not just be like, well, I want to call it indica or I want to call it sativa. It's like, you know, it's it's not enough anymore. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's probably like part of the method of my madness of doing the endogenous cannabinoid system training like in Jamaica. Because, you know, like we really bring the science and like the Dr. Boring like, to the things that maybe not everybody is interested in. But hopefully there's enough people to spark the interest by it being in beautiful Jamaica that you come and learn the real information because that's what we're going to get is that real information. Because just like you said, we need to elevate the conversation. And so this this training is April 15th through the 19th. And then you're going to have a big 420 party after the conference. Yes. 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 That's what they do. They're the research arm at the University of the West Indies, and they research the genetic profiles and what they're good for. And actually, they also do a certification on cleanliness of the production methods of cultivating cannabis here in Jamaica as well. So they're very science-driven, and we're happy to partner with them and happy to bring that education to the masses through the 420 Festival and also the Education Course Week. And this is a conference that you're going to start doing every year, you think? Or or what's your plans with that? Yeah. Actually, we're going to do it every year. And it's going to be in a different part of the island every time we do it. So you'll be able to not have the exact same experience. You'll get more information. There are so many microclimates in Jamaica that each part of the island that we do it in will get a different piece of information, um, especially when it comes to... The way I said, when you put things in the soil here, that it profiles change, we'll learn about those, that part of cultivation, how like um, soil amendments and different things change genetic profiles. And then once you're going to change genetic profile, what that, that genetic profile can actually 
combat the symptoms of. I also I always have to be so careful, like because I think about the FDA and how they always listen to what we're saying. That's all. I don't want to like this stuff. We're just taking symptoms and spreading information. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're not claiming to treat anything. We're just letting you know that science misses information, and hopefully you'll take that back for corners of the world and use it to spread that knowledge. That's what we're hoping for. Well, in Jamaica, do you have to to worry about the FDA, or just because you work in both places, do you worry about the FDA? I'm not a Jamaican citizen. I'm an American citizen today. Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty much why I don't really have a cannabis product on the market currently, because whether it's hemp or medical cannabis, because there's so much to to deal with. And, you know, there's I've been seeing so many outrageous claims um, for CBD. I mean, in Oklahoma City, they have these giant billboards that say anxiety, CBD, insomnia, CBD. And I'm like, how have these billboards not gotten in trouble, much less the CBD store that put them up? I agree. And, you know, I don't understand how we have an endogenous cannabinoid system and we have over 300 receptor sites. There's hundreds of cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids. Where we got the God complex that we know that this one is the most beneficial for the entire person of the population. I want to know how we got to that point. That's what I really want to know. I want to know how we really feel like we're doing service by saying, okay, cannabinoids like uh, phytocannabinoids, hemp, or cannabis have been removed from our diet and the pharmacopoeia for like 80 years. Everybody is probably suffering from some sort of endogenous cannabinoid deficiency. So yeah, if you take one isolated cannabinoid, they're going to feel better. They're going to feel better. But for a very short period of time, because once that receptor has received all that it needs, what about the other one? That's the problem, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a minute, with the allopathic medical system now. We take a group of symptoms, and based on the way those symptoms present, we come up with a disease diagnosis. And based on the name of that disease diagnosis, we come up with a treatment protocol. No room for individuality whatsoever. So Jessica has fibromyalgia and Lakeisha has lupus. At the end of the day, Jessica's fibromyalgia and Lakeisha's lupus is an autoimmune system disorder. Just because it presents the present as fibromyalgia in Jessica and the symptoms present as loops and Keisha doesn't mean that the root cause 
isn't an autoimmune system disorder. We need to that root cause. That's the problem. That we think we know what every individual on the planet needs. No. That's why I'm a proponent of full spectrum providing the entire the entire botanical profile in as much as complete as possible. It's the most natural as possible. So your body can use that nutritionally and it can choose which of those active constituents in that botanical is best for it and discard the rest like it does everything else nutritionally. We need to change that school of thought. We need to change our approach. Right? We're going to heal the world. And that's just how I feel about it. That's exactly how I feel about it, too. And I know that there are more of us out there. We just have to like actually be vocal about this and spread it to as many people as we can. Do you still see clients in California? I don't see clients in California. I do telemedicine through my website, though. So if you want to have a consultation with me, I have a number of outlets, licensed outlets in California that I have partnerships with that you can pick up your medicine in California. I do see patients both here in Jamaica. You can physically come see me here in Jamaica. You can do medical or wellness tours retreat with you here with me in Jamaica, or you can do telemedicine anywhere in the world, and I'll try my best to use my resources to get you the product and support that you actually need. That's great. So regardless of where you are in the world, you could do a tele-appointment. And if you're in Jamaica, you can see Lakeisha, Dr. Lakeisha in person. What are some of those stores, uh, the retailers in California? So that means if somebody has a consultation with you and they live in California, they can pick up like the herbal protocol that you've made for them. Absolutely. Yes. Because I've vetted a few of the retailers. I've vetted their product lines and what they offer. I've actually helped to develop what product line they actually offer because they're one of the ones that are very conscious and they base, they base their retail location off of science. So I'll be able to direct you to them to pick up the products that will help to combat the symptoms of whatever you're experiencing. Oh, that's great. You know, I find a lot of the products at the dispensary to be pretty lacking. So I'm glad to know that you formulated Mm -hmm. and helped formulate some of those. What's the biggest difference that you notice between working in the United States and working in Jamaica in the cannabis world and just in general, a big difference between the two countries? I think in general, health and wellness is a lifestyle here. It's not an afterthought. In America. Unfortunately, in America, health and wellness preventative medicine or preventative approaches to health are, are not commonplace. Prevention is definitely commonplace here. And most Jamaicans can tell you what these botanicals that surround us are good for. And I, I think that's primarily, first and foremost, a major difference. Secondarily, I think that in the cannabis industry, because cannabis is such a part of the culture here, you find that the cultivars that have been growing it for a very long time have actually studied the science behind it. They may not be able to articulate it to you through botanical profile and that type of thing, but they can tell you 
what these particular botanicals, the particular strains, if you will, that are found here are good for. I think that the amount of research that has gone into that, because there are a lot of traditional medicine healers here in Jamaica, just the school of thought is different. I think one of the things that I find funny about um, America is we're so focused on cannabis. And we forget that there's an entire population of professionals like you and I that base their entire careers on botanical medicine. <laughs> it's not just cannabis. It's botanical medicine as a whole. And so I think that here, that, that school of thought is very prevalent. Most people think that way. There's some sort of natural remedy that they will go to prior to going to pharmaceutical. And it's just not the same in the United States. Yeah, definitely not the same in the United States. I mean, I feel like now even it's almost worse because for some people, healthcare is not even an afterthought. Now it's like this fad. And if you're not on a very specific diet and protocol and wearing this outfit and doing this exercise, then like then you're not healthy, yeah. which is really confusing to people who really are trying to decide what health means for them. And it's like as simple as like have drink an herbal tea, take a walk in nature. And like, you know, we've created this like confusion around health, I think in, in the United States that probably in Jamaica, they don't have, cause it's like, you know, they're like growing more of the food. They know the herbs, they know the local, you know, remedies for everything because it's just passed down from generation to generation instead of getting it from, you know, an advertisement on Instagram. And that's telling you what health means today. Totally like a different approach to life in general. And I don't know personally, because I've never been to Jamaica, but my um, friends who have family in Jamaica, they were talking about how, you know, it was really like the Rastas who embraced cannabis. And I know for a while they were kind of looked down upon for their, what would seemingly for some people be excessive cannabis use. Now, is Jamaica as a whole, are they embracing cannabis more? No. No. No, not at all. That negative stigma, that reproductive sample thing, it was this terrible, 100%, just like they demonized the Rockefellian community and those types of things. And it's the same thing. We have to take that nutritional approach, that educational approach, so that at the end of the day, that's what makes sense. Absolutely. And I was hoping for some reason that like there was just this 
you know, awakening. But of course, if the people aren't even smoking weed yet, how are they going to have the awakening? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, this really makes me think of like a larger topic, you know, that is unfortunately ingrained in the United States culture and in so many places around the world is this like inherent racism that's going on. Right. And in Jamaica, it's against the Rastas in the United States. It's pretty much against everyone who's not a white male. And even they, they feel like demonized at this point. And so I don't want to demonize white males, but I mean, you're a strong black woman in a very white male dominated space. And how is that for you? And how is it knowing there's all of this, like, you know, multi-million to soon to be billion dollar industry that when there's still people in jail and that's all sorts of colored people are in jail, like white, black, Mexican, like all Latino, everyone that, and you know, we have this huge industrial prison complex here in America. How do you reconcile that? Within yourself, because I struggle as a white woman, how to reconcile that within myself. I struggle with it too because you want to be completely honest, Jessica. Like, let's just be real. Whether I'm black woman or not, fortunately, unfortunately, the way that you describe it, I grew up in California in the Silicon Valley. My father was an engineer and my mom was a corporate banker. A lot of the minority families went through this you know, drug war and all of those things. I did not experience. It honestly wasn't until my work, I promise you, until my work in the cannabis industry that I opened my eyes and I woke up and I realized the problem. So I struggle with it too. I'm not struggling anymore because I'm, oh my God, I am a black woman. I am a minority and I grew up in a and I didn't. Charge to help to change. 
I don't know why. I'm a doctor. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to change it. I really don't. Like I said, I have that personal struggle. But I know that I'm going to do my part. When I see the injustice, when I see the disservice, I'm not going to turn a blind eye, and I'm going to speak out, and I'm going to do my part. Even if I can't change the world, even if I can't change it for everyone, I'm going to do my part inside. And I just ask. Well, I appreciate your total honesty in that answer, because I think it's important for us to remember that we all did grow up in a completely different world than someone, maybe even our next door neighbor, but definitely someone who lives in an entirely different state or a different country, regardless of the color of your skin, right? We all have our different realities and how we grew up. Most of the people I know who grew up in California Like, I mean, you guys were like lucky to grow up there for the most part, regardless of what economic status your parents had. Right. It's like the fact that you just get to live in California is is like a a privilege on so many levels. But I guess this brings up another thought. And then I know we have to go because we're busy, but I could pretty much talk to you all day. And that is about because nutrition, (laughs) (laughs) nutrition is such a big part of your um, work and of your mission. And like we understand how important nutrition is for health. And so, you know, for the United States, again, we have these like food deserts. And unless you're really lucky, you don't have like this access to really good, like organic or even just fresh fruits and vegetables. How do you work with that, you know, within your clients and your work? And then also, how does that, is that the same for Jamaica or because it's so plentiful in terms of like things growing everywhere? Do you see that same disparity in just access to good food? There's not a disparity in access, but sometimes there's a disparity in education. And here's the and I'm going to be real honest with this. A lot of first world countries contribute to the problem. It is our capitalist mindset and sort of putting, owning things, material things that determine your self-worth you know, what determines whether it's good enough for school. I'll give you an example. Vegetables grow everywhere here in Jamaica. You can find fruits and vegetables like rotting on the ground because there's such an overgrowth. There's an abundance of food growing wild everywhere here. But because you can't eat at that restaurant or you can't have that particular food that so-and-so over there has, or you can't do that particular thing, you have such subtle vision on, on putting your self-worth on your ability to be able to access that, that you don't see all of this abundance that's rotting around you. Where there's not as much, like, maybe hunger and starving people on the street, because some people really recognize that, it still exists. And I don't understand how it exists here until I realize that it's that sort of mindset. And they're looking at, well, that's first world. I want what's in the first world. Forget all of these fruits and vegetables growing around me. That is first world. This restaurant is first world. Being able to go to that, even Burger King or Wendy's or whatever is here, that fancy restaurant, that's that. And if I can't have that, I won't eat that over there, you know. I won't. I won't you know, challenge my status again. It's a very classist society here, very class, and and it really just is mind-boggling, honestly, how much 
America, because Jamaica looks to America for everything. It's like Big Brother. How much America and the American mind influences the entire culture here. It, it's mind-boggling. It really, really is. Well, I'm glad that you can be an American in Jamaica being like, no, don't look to America. They are not the best example of where of where we should be. And capitalism is like ruining the world. And that's why I hold cannabis so close to my heart. Because I'm like, don't turn into this like commodity and ju- of just like junk and trash and consumerism that everything else gets turned into, you know, including healthcare. With all of our fads and, you know, supplements and all this stuff you have to take. So thank you for always bringing it back to nutrition, because that's where it starts, is nutrition. It does. It does. It does. And at the end of the day, we have a system in our body that regulates other systems. It regulates, like, inflammatory response. It regulates, you know, things like digestive and digestion, cognitive response, endocrine, you know, function, and those types of things. We have a regulatory system that can't support itself, just like every other system needs to be supplemented nutritionally. We don't produce enough iron. We don't produce magnesium at all. We don't, you know, enough of those vitamins and minerals and amino acids and we need to get it nutritionally. Same thing for the endogenous cannabinoid system. We need phytocannabinoid system supplementation to help support that system that helps support and regulate every other system. So I'm always going to draw it back to nutrition, nutritional supplementation. Absolutely. And we have to wrap it up, but tell our listeners where they can contact you and learn more about what you do and also schedule a consultation with you if they uh, so desire. Sure. So everything is on my website, which is drlakisha.com. So it's dot com. And on all social media, I'm the at symbol, Dr. Lakeisha. Super simple. <laughs> I try to make it as easy as possible. If you put Dr. Lakeisha, all lowercase, spelled all out, no periods, anything, no punctuation there, you should be able to find me anywhere. And you're lucky because it's so hard to find those domain names with your name. I mean, it's like impossible. Yeah. So it's like you're stoked to Dr. Lakeisha, <laughs> like easy, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, well, I am so glad that you said yes to this interview. And this has been such a pleasure for me. I love to hear you speak. I can't wait to come to Jamaica and see you. Keep spreading the goodness. This is like you like radiate joy and goodness. So I totally appreciate that energy all the time. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. The pleasure is mine. You are one of my heroes. Like I said, I appreciate your work and what you do to the ceiling is 100% mutual. And thank you. Anything for you. If you called me and was like, look, I need you here right now, I would come anything to say. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely don't tempt me. I may have to find an excuse. Like, why do I need Dr. Lakeisha? I need her here. (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, just to cheer me up. So thank you. Wow, that was a great hodgepodge episode. Uh, you know, many of you know my wife. Many of you know Travis. Uh, if you know these guys, I'm going to tell you, they are some of the most requested or noted episodes that people talk to me about. They love to hear about Travis's newness in ganja and where he's gone. Many people just love his job. That he's a content writer 
for the cannabis industry. And then, you know, my wife, Jessica Baker, she is unbelievable, beautiful and smart. And just her passion for ganja just comes across in this episode. Hey, man, I am ready to go to Jamaica right now. I am going to pack up my bags with all my finest medical cannabis and go take it down to Kingston and do some research with uh, Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins. Wow, this has been a great episode, great time. I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. You know, summertime is when everyone has vacations and traveling the world looking for fine, fine ganja or any ganja is just such a great great part of travel for for many 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 stoners and and for medical cannabis patients sometimes you can't be so picky about what's in front of you you just have to like take the medicine as as you can get it sometimes it tastes great and sometimes it doesn't taste good at all and sometimes you pay eighty dollars for two grams worth of weed from a guy in a painted canoe it's a beautiful world we live in and and things are really changing fast and the access to medical cannabis and the increase in cannabinoid consumption throughout the world will change the way we think and behave and, and believe. So thank you for joining me. Once again, this is The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. If you like this episode or want to listen to some others, because you didn't like this one so much, go to iTunes, download and subscribe The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Hey, and if you need any grow gear, man, check us out. CultivateOKC.com, CultivateColorado.com. We're there to help. Give uh, Jacob, Jimmy, Chris, or Daryl a call or call me up, man. Maybe I'll even answer the phone. We'd be glad to chat with you about all your, your cannabis and growing and technology needs and issues. And uh, yeah, if you've got any ideas for episodes, man, just also email, text, phone call, send in smoke signals. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you joining me here. Please tell your friends about The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, The Real Dirt Podcast. Later! Later!